Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, welcome to Making Data Simple. You're back. Thank you. As always, we're going to have some fun today. Today, my guest is Mindy Weinstein, who's a PhD. She's a leading expert in digital marketing and has been named one of the top women in the industry globally. She's the founder of the digital marketing firm, Market Mindshift. She's trained thousands of professionals from organizations of all sizes, including Facebook, the Weather Channel, and the World Fuel Service. She has a PhD in general psychology with an emphasis in technology. That's an interesting combo, by the way. I'd like, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to hear about that. Marketing instructor at Grand Canyon University and the University of Denver, as well as a program leader for the Wharton School and Columbia Business School. And if that's not enough, she has a recent <laughs> book, The Power of Scarcity, which explores the psychological effects of scarcity marketing and shows businesses how they can leverage scarcity to influence customer decisions. Intimidation sets in. <laughs> That's awesome. Welcome to our humble little show here, Dr. Weinstein. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that's a, that's a mouthful that I had <laughs> she just went through, but I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I only got to a part of it. We could have went even further. <laughs> Tell us about your experience. You have, as we've already established, a lengthy resume. And as you're telling us about your experience, where did the intersection of psychology and marketing begin? That, I, I'm oh, interested yeah. in that. Oh, great question. So, I mean, all those things that you just mentioned, I mean, at the heart of it, I'm a marketer. I mean, that's what I've done for decades. That's what I studied in school and undergrad back in the day. And really to be a good marketer, in my opinion, is you have to truly understand what drives people, which gets into psychology, you know, what's going through their minds, you know, how, what are their motivations, you know, what do we know about their needs and their wants? And so I always had an interest in psychology. And so when I went, you know, to further my education, I thought, well, I've already studied marketing as a degree. I've already got my MBA. I want to broaden my knowledge. And so I took the path of studying general psychology, but I found a program that was general psychology with an emphasis in technology which is where we're at and it's where we're going to continue to be. And so to me also, because my field has, has been digital marketing, I'm like, that is digital marketing. Digital marketing is technology and psychology. That's exactly what it is. And so that's what got me down that whole path and um, really to where I'm at today. So I was going to ask you what you started with, but it sounds like you were always interested in marketing first. And then you, as you went along the process, you say, well, I would be better off if I understood the psychology that lends itself to marketing. And as a result, you went back into psychology and then come out the other side and now you're instructing folks. And here, yeah, here I am. And it was interesting for me, you know, it wasn't like I started college at, you know, age 18 and I was like, I want to be a marketer. I actually wanted to be a writer. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a journalist and my parents were kind of like, well, you know, maybe think about business. And so it was my very first <laughs> marketing class. I was sitting there. I'm like, wait a minute. If I go into marketing, I can write. And so that's actually like, we really want to get to like the beginning. And that's what started everything. So I was getting had a fascination with communicating with people with again, understanding them. So, and then now, yeah, I get to teach marketing as well. So marketing to psychologist, wait, no, no. 
It is writer to marketer to psychologist to marketer and writer because you're writing right now, right? You've got True. your your book out and. Yeah. Do you count though? When I was 18 as a writer, I just liked to write. I mean, I was, by that time, I think I was writing, you know, little short stories on the computer. <laughs> so I wasn't. I think that advanced. counts. Okay. I think, well, obviously it brought you right back into writing. How many books yeah. do you have now? So I have, so the power of scarcity is yeah, the newest one in that genre, especially in marketing. But I mean, years and years ago, I actually co-authored a couple books that were in the personal finance space, but it was, I was still doing marketing. That's, I was working you know, with a personal finance company doing marketing, but I had so much knowledge on the personal finance side that I had co-authored two books beforehand. So this one's completely different because it's about early marketing psychology. So it's very different flavor than the other two. Tell me about the emphasis in technology. What does that mean? You talk about digital marketing, mm -hmm. which I could probably make my own interpretation, but I'd rather not. I'd like right. you to explain that that technology piece. Yeah. And so, I mean, really, you know, in the program of study that I had, there was the general psychology. So you keep saying general psychology because I'm not a clinical psychologist. So I'm not going to be able to no. diagnose you or give you advice or you don't want, I mean, I could give Are you, you advice, sure? but I don't Are know if you, you sure? want me to. Yeah. Advice. You're assessing me right now. I know it. I've, I... <laughs> so let's let's have a session here. No, um, but really, so general psychology, but the technology aspect were all the additional courses I took to understand really technology adoption. How do we how do we adopt technology as it advances as humans? You know, how do we adjust and how do we incorporate it? And so to me, you know, that's been fascinating because again, the world we live in, I mean, there's so much going on. AI has like been the rage and everyone's talking about so much there. And so, um, but that was really the focus. It's how does that, you know, change our behaviors? How do we adopt it? How do we use it? And um, just very fascinating to learn. So in all of this, in summary, is your passion back to writing about marketing, psychology, how this all fits mm -hmm. in together? And then with the emphasis of digital marketing, the technology piece, is it just, is it the writer in you that wraps it all up? Is that your passion? It, to me, it all goes together. So I know from yep. the outside, people are sometimes wondering like how, like, but it, to me, it all goes together because at the end of the day, we're trying to reach humans. So at the end of the day, no matter what we're doing, you know, even data, I love data, but we're, there's human beings on the other side. And so, which means psychology, which again, in our modern age, we have so much technology involved. So it does wrap all together. And then the scarcity piece is still psychology and it's how do we word things? And so, yes, I would say, I guess, I could have just said yes to your question. <laughs> just realized. Well, that's all right. That's good. <laughs> just well, you, just kind of like, wait, you just said that. Yes. You're, so the answer well, you're, yes. Also, you're also an academic and an educator and instructor too, right? In, in all this, where does that fit in? Yeah. And actually, as we are doing this podcast, I had uh, stepped out of one class and we'll have another class here soon. No, for me, I actually, I love teaching. So I teach at uh, Grand Canyon University full-time on campus. And I mean, I've got 200 students this semester. So for me, it's imparting the knowledge that, oh. you know, from the academic side and what I've gained to all these young future marketers. And so um, it's, it's a blast. And do you do webinars and the workshops and the conferences? Are they separate to your, to, to your instruction or yes. your, your, okay. Yes. And so, so I still have, uh, to answer that question. So I teach full time, but I have my marketing business where I do all of those things, you know, so that's where the book comes into play and the speaking and all of those right. fun things. 
And and also in what 2019, you were named the top one of the top women one in of the digital. Top women, yeah. Yeah, women. in digital marketing <laughs> globally, yes, yes. Yes. So that was really an honor. Um, it was really fun. So there was a, a few of us that were named um, named the top women in the industry. And so, yeah, definitely an honor because there's so many great minds out there. Who named you one of the top women in, in yeah, digital Yeah, so uh, Serpstat was one of the big companies. And so they did this big... Uh, vote in all of this stuff. And that's a big digital marketing um, software platform. And right. so that's really where that came in. So what was the criteria? Could I ask? You know, so I believe, okay, this is so bad because it wasn't that long ago, but I believe a lot <laughs> of it was what we contribute to the industry. And so contributing our knowledge and our expertise and also uh, that was a lot of it. And, you know, what we were doing in our digital marketing practices ourselves. And so I've been speaking at conferences for years. And so that's always been a big thing. And to me, that's the passion that also goes with school and teaching is that I feel like if I know how to do something, I would love to teach you how to do it too. And so there was a lot of that that I've been doing over the years. And so I think that played a huge role in um, that nomination that I had. So now you're on to, let's jump into it. Okay. Now you're on to the power of scarcity. Look, I've stood in line before to receive a new product. Uh, and, you know, whether it's toilet paper or COVID <laughs> or otherwise, I kind of get scarcity. But um, is one, is that your sweet spot? Is that kind of where you're coming? Is that why you wrote about it? And what is scarcity, Mark? Yeah. Okay. So let me just give you the very, very brief like reason why I studied scarcity. So when I was working on my PhD, you know, part of that is you, you do a dissertation, which means you do your own research and it's, it's a process. And so for me, I was already interested again in what motivates people. And so I thought, well, I want to focus on that for my dissertation. So as I started digging into all the different influence factors, I realized pretty quickly that scarcity is one of the strongest because when you look at scarcity, it's something that's actually innate in us. Our brains are hardwired a certain way where we don't want to face scarcity. And so we try to overcome it. And what's interesting, and this is based on research, is that our brain can't differentiate between something that's essential to survival and scarcity and, <laughs> oh, that restaurant's booked or I didn't get the latest, you know, Nike drop or, you know, I was just reading an article about people cutting up their Uggs because they want the new style and they keep selling out. But our brain still focuses and does the same things. So I decided that's something I want to study. And so I spent, you know, years doing my own research uh, just diving into the topic, you know, I'd finished my program. And then when COVID hit and watching toilet paper of all things, I just remember sitting back and turning to my husband going, I am watching my research play out in, you know, out there in the wild. And I just thought this really, this information needs to be out there because there's so much academically that we know about scarcity, but from a business perspective, most of us just think of scarcity of, you know, the email that we get that says, you know, flash sale or running out or low in stock. And we're like, oh, well, we know what that is, but it's a lot more than that. So really to define scarcity, the simple definition, it's any type of unavailability or restriction. What makes it 
complex is that it's not just what we think. In those examples I gave you, most likely you have made decisions based on scarcity and you didn't even realize it. And part of that comes into play because there are four different types of scarcity. So we think we understand them all, but we really don't. And so that's what really got me onto this, um, this whole route and studying it and just been fascinated by it. Could you have just named the, the book FOMO? Because FOMO is <laughs> real, right? FOMO is real. It is. Actually, I have a chapter in there that's FOMO. I mean, that's what it is because that is a huge driver of scarcity. And that also goes back to how our brains are wired. And it's primal is that we don't want to experience loss. So we have, so FOMO is, you know, what we use and, you know, commerce and buzzwords, but really it's actually called loss aversion. And our Mm -hmm. brains, again, we will do what we can to not experience loss and we'll have stronger feelings when we experience loss than the feelings we will have when we gain something, which is just insane. But there's so much research that backs that up. And so that's where scarcity comes in. We don't want to, we don't want to miss out. And sometimes I'm just going to throw one example for anyone who's like a little skeptical saying, well, I still don't fall for scarcity. So I'm going to throw an example that almost all of us have done at some point. If you've ever been at the grocery store and you needed, let's say, a bag of coffee. So we're going to go with that because I drink a lot of coffee. So you went because you needed a bag of coffee. You were almost out. You show up at the store and your favorite brand of coffee is on sale. Where it has a sales price right underneath, it says limit three, meaning you can only buy three at that price. You know what you're going to do? You only came for one bag, but you're going to buy three right? We've all been there. And that is even scarcity because, and it's still FOMO because your brain is thinking, oh, if I don't buy it now, I will miss out on this price in the future. And it's still scarcity because it's a restriction that was put in place and you do it. So I like to throw that one out there for any of my skeptics that we've all at least done that. And that's still scarcity. You kind of hit on me there because look, I, I, I do it for allocated bourbon. <laughs> this is a bad ad- admission, but I, I, if I, if I walk into the liquor store, I just collect bourbons. And if it says limit, I usually don't buy all three, but I'll buy one. And sometimes I get home and I'm like, why did I buy that? I don't even know that that's good bourbon, but it said it was limit. So I had to be allocated, right? Same theory, loss aversion. I got it. Yeah. And I've got, I'll do another brief example. So for me telling you things here, I don't want anyone to think that I don't fall like for scarcity still. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. I study it, I use it, I write about it, and I'll still just completely fall for it. So I was it. I think it was total wine. I was at total wine and I was trying to pick out white wine for sangria that we were going to make. And so, you know, it's overwhelming. There's so many different choices, but I went, there was one that had a very low price, but it had a little sticker on it that says best value. And I picked it up, but I was skeptical and I do drink inexpensive wine. So it's not, I'm not a wine snob, but I was holding it going like, could it really be that good? It's $5. (laughs) And so someone working there walks by and says, oh, I didn't even know we had any of that left in stock. We keep selling out of it. And then we had someone call this morning to see if we had any cases left. And I thought they came and bought them all. Like, what? And then I still was kind of standing there. And then another person working there walks by and says something similar. So you know what I did is I bought a case of wine. I only needed one. I bought a case. And then when my husband, we were driving home and I was going on and on and on and on about how we need to go back and like wipe them out, get all of this, you know, at this price because it must be so good because it's selling out. And we got home and all of a sudden it was like, we don't even drink white wine outside of Sangria. <laughs> like, why did we do this? I still have it in my in my house. Totally get it. And I, I was totally just like, oh gosh, here we go. 
I totally get it. I have to admit, I am a wine and bourbon snob. And I went out to Napa recently and I was drinking, you know, some expensive wines and the driver comes back into the, in, into the vehicle is he sees us drinking these expensive wines. He said, I got one for you. And it, a long story short, it's a, it's a Trader Joe's wine. I won't, I won't say what it is, but uh, apparently after the fires, some good vineyards sold their wine in preface to the fact that they thought the, the, the grapes may be bad. So it's like great wine at Ooh. like $20. <laughs> and so I, I drank it and it, it looked, it's yeah, it's a good wine. I mean, it can compete. And so, yeah, what did I do? I go right to Trader Joe's and brought like four <laughs> cases and they brought it home. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Anyway, so I get it. Do you do you ever follow like Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman? Have you read some of their work on the psychology of prediction and probability? No. So that'll have to be something to add to my list. Oh, uh, they t- they're like behavioral e- economics and they talk about like loss aversion and the mm-hmm. crazy stuff that we do. <laughs> By the way, is this the problem? Somebody wanted me to ask you th- this. Is this the problem with eggs today? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I, you look, I don't do a lot of shopping, but I know they're very expensive and they can't figure it out because it doesn't seem like we are at a restricted level of eggs. However, it's like somebody's using loss aversion or scarcity to drive up the price. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So I, well, I can Arizona actually does have a specific issue in terms of eggs that's on compounding everything. And it has to do with a law that was passed. So we're yeah very expensive on eggs, but anytime, and this is actually more on the economic side, but yeah, anytime there's some kind of shortage and I don't know the national shortage, but I know there is one because I'd go to the grocery store and I'm like, why am I spending so much on eggs? But anytime there's a shortage, we do pay more. And in general, I will just tell you about scarcity is that if something is scarce, our brain actually does its own equation. And we've seen this in brain scans. So there's been studies done that use MRI scans. And when participants are faced with something that is scarce, their brains will jump into the value assigning mode, meaning they assign value to that item. And Again, we've seen it's hard to argue with what the brain is actually doing. And when I say something scarce, I'm not talking about something for survival, like food or water. I'm talking about like an auction simulation or a sale, those kind of things. But what our brain does, it's like, oh, that's scarce. Scarcity equals value. Something scarce, it's more valuable. And of course, you're thinking like, okay, well, that seems obvious. But the fact that our brain is actually just showing that, that that's what happens. So I also just think, you know, we're willing to pay because we're also then become fearful that you're like, well, something's going on here. So I better buy my eggs, even if I'm spending a hundred dollar carton. Okay. It's not a hundred dollars, but yeah, no, <laughs> you I got the idea. Point. So you think we're driving it up ourselves then a little bit? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we could drive it up and well, that's the whole thing with toilet paper. That was a self-induced, oh, you know, we weren't running. I mean, think about all the different news reports are like, you know, the manufacturers are saying we have enough, we have enough, but it's that fear a lot of times that still drives that and drives those purchases. In that situation, you know, COVID, of course, there's panic buying because we lost a lot of control in other aspects of our life. And if you can control how much toilet paper you have, it gets a little deep. You know, you kind of feel like you got, you're doing okay. That's why people need a bidet, but I'm not going into that. All right. <laughs> All right. Look, in your book, you identify four types of scarcity. Would you mind telling us a little bit yeah, more about absolutely. 
absolutely. So, and that's what I started out, you know, talking about just a little bit ago is that we make assumptions on what scarcity is. And really there's four different types. And so we have time related scarcity and that's the one a lot of us are familiar with, you know, that's your, your, um, sale, your like a flash sale or just a normal sale or promotions or, or coupons. All of those are time related because there's a time restriction. So you're competing with the clock. You're not competing with other customers. Then you have demand related scarcity and that's usually due to popularity. So it's, you know, maybe the manufacturer didn't anticipate all that popularity and there's a high demand for something. And that's really where that whole thing with that equation of value comes into. And then we have supply related scarcity. And so that's a restriction, of course, on the supply that could be intentional. So that's when you think about products doing drops, definitely an intentional supply issue or just some type of shortage of a supply. And then the final one's limited edition. And really limited edition is part of supply-related scarcity, but I put it in its own category because it's so strong and it can be used differently. And that's, of course, just any twist on the original. Could it be a twist on the packaging or the product itself? But when you buy it, you feel special. And so again, that's still scarcity. I think that's what the bourbon industry is doing. Mm-hmm. They're trying to use limited edition or not limited edition, but just they're intentionally making it scarce. I so actually have bourbon in my book. You do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, man. So you're Great. on the right track with that. It's for the, it's limited edition and supply related. So supply related where, of course, they're restricting the number and then, well, limited edition too. I mean, that's going to be naturally right. restricted. So yeah, that's a huge thing. And the whole, do you remember the whole bourbon heist thing? And there was, yes. a, there was that Netflix documentary. Yes. Yeah, that was definitely based on scarcity because it was hard to get and people were willing to yes. pay so much money for it. And I'm sure it was good too. And that's the thing with scarcity. So like listening to this, it has to still be a good product. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, we're going to assign value to it, but. And I have some, to be honest with you, but well, and I paid handsomely for it. It was more like a trophy, right? Mm. If you're a bourbon collector, you've got to have that trophy. And I will say it's good, but is it worth that? No, it is Mm. not worth that. There's nothing worth that, but it was just for fun, if you will. So I think you've kind of answered this. But a two-part question, how do companies then leverage scarcity? And I guess my second part of the question is, can it be done ethically? I mean, sometimes I guess I'm struggling with the ethics of it. It's like they're using our our mind against us. And I guess maybe that's fair. I I don't know. But I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. So, And I'll answer them really both kind of at the same time. So... What I like about scarcity and the principle itself is that from a business perspective, it's not necessarily something that costs you a lot of money to implement, that it's like this big campaign and you're doing all these things. That's just how you word things. So for example, you know, let's say you have a website and there's a product on there or even a service bundle, you know, marking that as most popular or bestseller that actually then notates demand-related scarcity. So it also allows customers to take a mental shortcut of if they're not sure what to do, you just gave them a shortcut. And our brains are tired. They really like shortcuts. (laughs) And so that happens. And that's actually something I had interviewed the founder of 1-800-Flowers, and he talks about they do that on their site because he goes, you go on there and there's so many different arrangements you can choose that it's overwhelming for people. So we'll actually just add like most popular on there to just kind of help people make that decision. So from that aspect, to me, that's 
perfectly ethical and it's it's accurate. So if you know something's that way, um, if you restocked an item, you know, doing an email or just notating this has been restocked. Again, that's being honest, but it's having people aware that this was out of stock before. But there's some other ones a little bit more in the area where you probably wouldn't think of it as scarcity, but even McDonald's, when they do their limited time offerings, even like the Shamrock Shake, that's actually <laughs> is time-related scarcity because it's a limited time product, but that's not designed for manipulation. That's more designed for excitement. You know, it's close to St. Patrick's Day. We have the shake. Mm -hmm. People get excited about it. So that was something fascinating even during the whole process as I was researching for my book. I'd already done all this academic research and my own studies, but then talking to different executives and different people who were using it, I realized, you know, there's this whole other side where scarcity can create excitement. Just like an example I gave you, it can create community. So there's a lot of companies that have exclusive groups, members, you know, depending on what level you're at, that's actually still scarcity because it's being exclusive people want to be part of something. And so that's an ethical way to incorporate scarcity and it has that community side of things. Um, then there's just also the idea of creating that loyalty. If you are keeping people informed that, you know, we are having this event, you know, we do naturally only have this amount of seats, you know, letting people know when you're close to running out, which I know there's always mixed feelings when I say that of like those emails, five seats left, but you would also be really mad if you went to just finally book it and you're like, oh, there's no seats and they didn't say anything. <laughs> and so um, those are to me ethical ways. Now where it gets into that really gray or shady area is when, you know, something isn't really out of stock and you're saying it's out of stock or you're manipulating things like constantly changing the quantities, you know, just to try to manipulate people and saying things that are untrue because then that's artificial scarcity. And really where we're at today, you know, online reputation is a huge, huge thing. People can find out. So they know. And then if you're saying that something's exclusive, like an exclusive, you know, membership to something, but it's always crowded and there's so many people, well, obviously you've kind of been you know, misled in a way. So yeah. to me, there's enough ways that you can do it ethically. And you're probably already have instances of scarcity in your business. You're just not highlighting it. That makes sense. I do see, see like stores around here that are constantly closing. Oh, yeah. I mean, so it's not a secret. Yeah. So it must work. They just, they always have a closing, closing, mm -hmm. huge deals. I guess it must work. I mean, I kind of look at it, roll my eyes, but again, like I say, so they have it indefinitely actually they pull it down occasionally but it's back up again and the store didn't close so i don't know what the hell's going on i know i see well, this I know too we actually have a couple um there's a rug store by us that's been i think going out of business for the last few years <laughs> so yeah, I, I know you're talking I bet about. I know which one it is. <laughs> I think it's the same store. Might anyway. be, right. But it does. Yeah. I mean, that stuff does happen, but we do get wiser as consumers. And, you know, some people, maybe they needed a rug anyway, and they're like, that's fine. I'm going to go and <laughs> it must be on sale. But, <laughs> you know, we are savvy as well. So even all the things I told you about the brain, it doesn't mean that we're zombies and we're just going to make purchases. It's just how our brain's wired. And it's just, we have to just like stop sometimes. And I'm not totally flipping to the other side with consumers, like just stop sometimes and think of like, why am I making these decisions? So everybody could do that. So that's again, going back to using scarcity and more of a creative way or an informative way for your business is a much better way to go. Why are we wired that way? Does it go back to hunters and gatherers? And, it you it know, really does. You got yeah. Yeah. Our ancestors. And so when you think about our ancestors, they were always fighting for 
you know, resources, things were limited. So shelter, food, water. And so our brains just became hardwired that way. And then when you look back at the different empires over the years and the rise and fall, you know, most of them had control of resources. And so they could create scarcity, you know, scarcity for food, those kind of things. And so that's just the way that we are. And as I mentioned, our brain just can't differentiate the fact that like, oh, I'm so hyper-focused on, on getting this item versus like hyper-focused on getting food to survive to the next day. Hey, podcast listeners, Al here. I'm going to split this podcast into two parts. We'll listen to Mindy Weinstein again next week where she's going to talk about customer advice in terms of how to avoid scarcity as a tactic, companies that are using scarcity, technology and marketing. She's also going to go into AI and chat GPT in academics.